about life with keratoconus. I'm your host, Dr. Melissa Barnett, and today we're going to discuss KC123 and recent keratoconus innovations. And this is a special episode because this is the first time that we actually have two guests on the Clearly KC podcast, so we'll see how this goes. Dr. Stephen Greenstein is the medical director at the Cornea and Laser Eye Institute and the CLEI Center for Keratoconus. He has published multiple articles and has written many book chapters on corneal crosslinking for the treatment of keratoconus. He is a co-inventor of the corneal tissue addition keratoplasty that we'll talk about today, a novel surgical technique to treat keratoconus. Dr. John Gellies is the director of the Specialty Contact Lens Division of the Cornea and Laser Eye Institute and the CLEI Center for Keratoconus. He is a clinical professor at four different colleges and universities, and I'm trying to figure that out, how he's in all these different places at once. But since he's my good friend, I know how he does it. (laughs) He's on many boards and is the education chair of the Intrepid Eye Society. Additionally, he is a clinical investigator for multiple keratoconus and specialty contact lens-related clinical trials at CLEI. So welcome to both of you to Clearly KC. Thank you so much for having us. Let's start with a project that we all collaborated on, the 2023 Keratoconus Education Initiative. Please tell us about this initiative. Yeah, so this initiative was really dreamt up by you, me, and Stephen and Peter Hirsch coming together to really put together a a compendium of work where we can educate practitioners on every aspect of keratoconus from research to diagnostics to treatments to contact lenses to cross-linking, even genetics and various different devices out there. So this was really an entire educational resource that, gosh, it's had several thousand downloads at this point and has been really successful. A lot of people still compliment us on being able to use this with their patients and how it's helped shape the way they view keratoconus. It's been a a really great resource and we were lucky enough to have a lot of really amazing authors who have done some of the seminal work in keratoconus research involved as well. So it was really, really amazing to be able to have the opportunity to make that. Yes, and I, and I think I thank both of you for collaborating on this. What I love about it is it's so readable. It's relatively short, packed with all sorts of pearls, and there are clickable links. So you can actually click on different links to lead you to different aspects of keratoconus, and you can download it free of charge, which is great too. Yeah, I think with the changing landscape in keratoconus and really the bridge now between both the surgical management and the contact lens management of keratoconus patients, uh, we felt that it was really important to get a comprehensive work out there to really bridge that gap for both doctors and even patients who are learning about these changes on a kind of daily basis now. Right. I feel like it's such an exciting time in keratoconus, and that's why we have this podcast to talk about all these different things. And one thing that both of you bring is this comprehensive management, or KC123. So how should we be incorporating this into our practices? 
we thought the the KC one two three approach was kind of a nice way of synthesizing that comprehensive management that we keep talking about because we like to look at every keratoconus patient through the lens of KC one two three even though we know that not every keratoconus patient is going to need every treatment out there the way we approach every keratoconus patient is one looking at their stability so is the patient's keratoconus stable either by age, did they have cross-linking already done, or just by taking serial topographies. Then the second approach we look at is how do we fix their corneal curvature, or do they need their corneal curvature fixed to improve their vision, contact lens fit, glasses vision. And then the third and most important part is everything we're doing is to actually try to improve their vision, their refraction, their contact lenses. And so by looking at all three of those steps in each patient, we hope that you're going to offer and be able to offer the full breadth of treatment available nowadays. The, the whole concept of this is really around the idea of a patient who is wearing contact lenses with keratoconus is really going to achieve excellent vision with their contact lenses, but what do they do when they're out of their contact lenses, right? Many of our patients would tell us, hey, I can't wear glasses and my vision is totally unfunctional. And in even the worst case scenarios, you'll hear things like I can't even cook for myself because I can't see what I'm doing at a stove or taking measurements or anything like that. So this concept was really in the mode or rather step two of it is really in the mode of taking care of those other aspects of vision. So often optometry, ophthalmology, we focus so much on well, you need contact lenses to be able to solve your problems. And yes, contact lenses will likely give you the best possible vision, but we can't ignore the rest of the visual needs of this patient. They're going to have needs without their contact lenses and needs to be functional in their glasses so that they can just do their activities of daily living. So step two on this, those surgical procedures are really what allows us to be able to bridge that gap and give these individuals functional vision uh, outside of their contact lenses. And it allows us to approach, I think, ocular milestones, the natural ocular milestones that patients go through and visual milestones for the keratoconic patient. A perfect example is cataract surgery. When patients enter the age of and the need for cataract surgery, it's a very difficult time uh, for keratoconus patients because there's a lot, obviously, out there where People are used to hearing about cataract surgery and becoming even glasses-free or minimizing your need for glasses. And we all know that for a keratoconus patient, that's not always an opportunity that's available to them. There's a lot of complexity to picking lenses for those patients. And so now with the other treatments that are available to fix corneal curvature or improve corneal curvature, things like a topography-guided PRK or uh, corneal tissue addition keratoplasty, we have the opportunity to both fix their curvature and actually get better visual results during their cataract surgery and still benefit from contact lenses and glasses when needed. Yeah, and I think one very important point in this all, if we go back to the contact lenses too, is many of those individuals who aren't functional with glasses or aren't functional without glasses those individuals are the ones who engage in more risky contact lens wear behaviors. Those are the individuals who, when the lens hurts, they don't have an option to just stop wearing the lens. Whether they're in pain or not, 
they're not going to be able to see without it. So those individuals tend to continue to wear their lenses despite having problems, complications, those sorts of things, because they just cannot function. The difference for these patients is for some of them that have functional vision, they can be out of their lens. They can wear their glasses. They don't have to deal with those complications. Whereas the individuals who can't function with that, those are the individuals that end up with corneal abrasions and then infections and even worse complications in time. So having this as a comprehensive compendium for those patients is uh, very, very important. And that is so important. And we have had patients on the Clearly KC podcast as well, because this podcast is for everyone. And they echo exactly what you're saying, that without contact lenses, having functional vision is really important. So speaking of contact lenses, what's new in contact lens technology for keratoconus? Well, this has been uh, a fun area to work in. It it used to be the way that you would fit these lenses was diagnostically. You'd have a diagnostic fitting set, you'd place lenses onto the eye, and you'd make observations of how that lens is performing on the eye, and then contact your laboratory and discuss those changes and how you would modify the lens. We've really come to a very interesting point in contact lens technology where we have the ability to take scans of the eyes and impression molds of the eyes and turn those into 3D models. And based on those models, build a lens to the model so that we have these incredibly complex geometric shapes that we could have never come up with just by simply looking at a lens and trying to modify four curves and a couple widths, right? So you have this really huge opportunity in that. But most recently, our work has centered around wavefront-guided scleral lenses and the ability to improve individuals' vision even further beyond what they were getting with their standard scleral lenses. We worked with the Ovitz team to be able to do this starting back in 2020 and actually just wrapped up our clinical trial on this where we saw individuals would have about a line or more gain in visual acuity but more so than that, a reduction of the halo flare and glare that they saw by about 50% on average. Now, there were ranges on this, which were kind of interesting. Some individuals would gain 20%, some individuals gained up to 85%. But what you saw across the board was that We asked patients, what was the vision that you preferred? Was it in the traditional optics or was it in the wavefront guided optics? And it was well over 94% uh, preferred the wavefront guided optics. And that was even in patients who didn't gain a line, which was really impressive. So what improved quality of vision they preferred. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. If we could improve that quality of vision not even just the quantity, <laughs> not the number right, of lines, right. the even just very the quantity. Yeah, it was very, very cool. Wow. Can't wait to see that published. Yeah. <laughs> in the process, in the process. Wonderful. Yeah. Stephen, I understand you're a co-inventor of CTAC, a novel surgical technique to treat keratoconus. What do we need to know about this technique? This is kind of similar to the excitement around wavefront guided optics and contact lenses. This is probably the most excitement uh, that we've had in a long time around a new surgical procedure for keratoconus. And 
Uh, CTAC is really a novel inlay. So it's an addition procedure. You're not removing any corneal tissue. You're adding corneal tissue. And we add a gamma-irradiated sterilized tissue provided by a corneogen to the keratoconic cornea to reshape it. And what we have created is a process where we can now take patients' corneal topography and tomography data. We can actually review that data, process it through software, which then can present some different options for inlays uh, to improve the corneal uh, topography and improve corneal shape. And now we use the Zemer femtosecond laser at corneogen to then cut inlays to that desired shape. And then in the office or in uh, a surgery center, uh, we can then place these inlays through corneal channels. And we've just seen an unbelievable amount of reshaping with these inlays. So we just recently published our data on CTAC. We were actually fortunate to be placed on the cover of the Journal of Cataract and Refractive Surgery this past July, which was very exciting. And we found that there was an average of about a five-line improvement of uncorrected vision for patients with moderate and severe keratoconus, and just over three lines of glasses vision improvement. So we were seeing an improvement of vision from about 2080 to 2040 in glasses in patients with moderate and severe keratoconus. Just to put in perspective, the average K-max in these patients was well above 60 uh, diopters. So we're talking about an advanced keratoconic population who previously would really require corneal transplant uh, to improve their vision if contact lenses were no longer sufficient. Um, and now we have an opportunity to perform a procedure for them, which has a real meaningful impact on their vision. Uh, especially their vision in glasses. So if you can bring a patient's vision to 20 in glasses, that really improves their quality of life. As John was saying before, we have these patients who just have felt so uh, dependent on their contact lenses that they can't even cook at home without them. They're afraid of what would happen if they had a fire in their house and they had to immediately leave without their contact lenses in. And if you can give a patient like that a functional walk-around vision where they still wear contacts during the day, but have the ability to get around in glasses, it really is life-changing. And our excitement goes even further because we're really starting to now uh, use the CTAC inlays in more mild cases, and we're finding equally as impressive results. So here we've gotten patients to even 2025 and sometimes 2020 vision in glasses when they've started at a better starting point with more mild keratoconus. So we really haven't seen anything like it in terms of visual correction. Uh, patients notice it almost the next day if they don't have a simultaneous cross-linking done, they'll see the visual improvement within 24 to 48 hours. So wow. while it's not providing an uncorrected 2020 vision like LASIK, it does have this sort of wow factor where there's a definite noticeable difference for patients within about 24 to 48 hours of having it done. So we're really excited and it's starting to roll out around the country. We just presented it, our data uh, at the Academy of Ophthalmology, and uh, we're hoping that over the course of 2024, more and more surgeons will be able to provide this around the country. That's great. And that was my next question. So right now, if a person is interested in CTAC, where can they go? There are a few centers uh, that have started uh, to perform uh, CTEC around the country. There's a, a process 
which we have just now started to roll out where surgeons can be trained in CTAC and then provided for their patients. So I think you're going to see over the next six to 12 months, a large number of surgeons start to adopt this technology and it will be more readily available around the country. That's fantastic. And then John, when you're fitting contact lenses after CTAC, how is that experience for patients? It's actually been extraordinary. You'll find that some of these patients after CTAC, because the curvature changes are just so significant, you're able to even take them out of using more advanced lenses and put them into simpler lenses. So we've had a handful of patients that have actually had complications with corneal lenses or had used scleral lenses in the past. And after the procedure are either successful in those corneal gas perm lenses or uh, are able to go from using a corneal gas perm lens or a scleral lens down to either a soft or custom soft lens. So we've seen uh, some really, really impressive changes with this. And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, John, but you've always told me, and surgeons know this from previous history of other inlays like intacts where the actual fit of a scleral lens can be more complicated with the peripheral changes in the cornea and the elevation in the cornea. CTAC really doesn't have that. CTAC maintains the normal peripheral curvature of the cornea. So when it comes to actually fitting the lens, and obviously John can talk about this more than me, but I don't think the challenges like intacts are really there anymore. Yeah. I mean, intacts, the the big issue with that was that abrupt curvature change that would happen, that extreme fast elevation change. And coupled on top of that, you would have changes to the epithelium, which would cause it to thin. When you're fitting corneal gas permeable lenses, hybrid lenses, and even in typical scleral designs that have a prolate geometry, what you would end up having were these areas where the contact lens would land on the cornea, and that happens to correspond exactly with the place that the intax is. So you would have this wear on top of the tissue uh, where the intax is underneath, and essentially you'd end up with what we would call uh, you know, a, a plastic sandwich. You know, you have uh, the intacts, the corneal tissue, and then the RGP or hybrid on top of it. And just the friction from that squeezing down on the uh, the tissue there would cause breakdown and other problems with CTAC because this is a form of lamellar keratoplasty where we're implanting this large piece of corneal tissue into the cornea. It ends up maintaining this very smooth, gentle curvature And you just don't have the problems that you would. Plus, obviously, because it's made out of corneal tissue, the biocompatibility is just superior to anything that you would have with uh, these synthetic inlays. So we don't see things, inflammatory events, neovascularizations, or or extrusion of these. It's really remarkable. I can't wait to see what the future holds because this is super exciting. Thank you both so much. The time just flew by with so many clinical pearls. And thank you all for joining us on the Clearly KC podcast. Please listen to Clearly KC on Podbean or your favorite podcast app to subscribe and get future episodes. Really appreciate both of you being here today. You're going to have to come back to share more pearls with us and have a great day.